0: Welcome back for episode 28 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Two Witnesses. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. In our last episode, John the Revelator saw people choosing to enter the temple while a big crowd of people refused. In chapter 11, we're about to see what happens with the crowd who choose to stay
1: outside the temple. Uh, In chapter 11, verse 2, we read that the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem was given to the Gentiles, and the holy city, they shall tread underfoot 42 months. There's 42 again. There's 42 again. All of the righteous people are symbolically inside the temple, and these are the people who refuse to enter by their own choice. Okay, So they tread the outer court for 42 months. Here is the outer court of the temple, was was known as the court of the Gentiles, and it represents the world. We've already established that the 42 months represents the span of our mortal life on the earth. In other words, we're talking about the whole history of humanity and the Lord's interactions with it in this chapter during this 42-month period, which is our life, right? The Lord sends messengers to preach the gospel to all mankind, as we see in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 11. Could you read this for us, please?
0: Yeah. And I
1: will give power unto
0: my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Closed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. Are these like the two prophets lying dead in the street kind of thing? Is this connected to that idea? Like
1: I've heard that over that the is, years. That That's uh, that's where we get this notion of two prophets from chapter 11 oh, okay. Of Revelation. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, they're the two witnesses who preach. For 42 months, uh, 1,000 203 score days is 42 months, okay? But there are also two olive trees and two candlesticks. Can can Scripture get any more symbolic than that?
0: Yeah, so so what does it mean that two witnesses are also two trees and candles?
1: That's a very densely symbolic passage, so let's take it piece by piece, okay? First of all, who are these two witnesses? Uh, Joseph Smith said and dnc 77:15 that the two witnesses are two prophets that are to be raised up to the jewish nation in the last days at the time of the restoration and to prophesy to the jews after they are gathered and have built the city of jerusalem in the land of their fathers well when joseph gave this prophecy in 1832 there were barely 4000 jews in jerusalem It was mostly a Muslim city. But today, more than half a million Jews live there. Wow. So they have built the city, as Joseph prophesied they would. And the two prophets could thus appear there at any time, right, because Mm -hmm. the city has been built up. Right. But there is a pattern here that we need to take stock of. There are always two witnesses to everything the Lord does. You ever noticed? Yes, exactly. In every dispensation, says the prophet Zechariah, quote, two anointed ones stand by the Lord of the whole earth. That's in um, Zechariah 4, verse 14. Now we think, therefore, of like Moses and Aaron, right? Right. Alma and Amulek, in the Book of Mormon, um, Lehi and Nephi in the book of Helaman, Elijah and Elisha, Peter and John at the gate beautiful in in the book of Acts, and Joseph and Hiram Smith, Mm -hmm. right? Every saving ordinance from baptism to sealing requires two witnesses. The missionaries of the restoration, how how many of them are there at a time? They go out two Two by by two. two. There's always two witnesses. So, why do there have to be two witnesses? Because the law of God requires at least two witnesses. In the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy, it says, One witness shall not rise up against a man. At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. Deuteronomy 19.15 So, The two uh, witnesses are, quote, the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the god of the earth. Now, that's that's a um, complicated set of symbols. Um, In a mosaic in Israel, there's a mosaic in a synagogue at uh, the ancient town of Sepphoris, which is not far from Nazareth. And in this mosaic, which they uncovered just a few years ago, there are two menorahs that look like trees. Okay and they stand on either side of the temple entrance. So picture the temple entrance, mm-hmm. picture the two menorahs standing on either side of the entrance. On the Ark of, of Magdala, two oil pitchers accompany the menorah. So the two prophets, like the menorah, represent light and life. And, and the, two, the two oil containers, the two pitchers, feed the um the menorah from the olive tree okay so this is all very symbolic of the light that the witnesses bring
0: so the olive tree um you press olives from the olive tree which creates the oil that, fill, that fills the candle that burns the candle which gives you the, right some okay yes. that, some yeah. symbolism so yeah. that almost feels like it's in a yeah like it's circular it's like an eternal round an kind e- of thing it's an
1: eternal round because the the two prophets bring the light, which is represented by the oil pitchers and the, the candles, which were actually not candles. They were cups of oil, and they put a wick in them. They would just burn, burn them. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we think of wax candles, but they were not that. They Got were, it. They were bowls of oil that had a wick in them. And um, they, of course, represent the light of Christ, the light and the life that comes from following the witnesses of Christ. So there are always two. The sackcloth they wear, well, that is the clothing of mourning. It shows that they preach repentance. It's a symbol of repentance Mm. to wear sackcloth.
0: So why are the two prophets compared to candlesticks?
1: Well, in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, uh, the prince of Judah and the high priest Joshua are compared to two olive trees that pour golden oil into the menorah. Thus. Giving light to the people. Those are two witnesses the prince of Judah and the high priest Joshua, okay, in the Old Testament. At the entrance to Solomon's temple, there were two massive bronze pillars, one on either side of the temple, and they probably represented this picture the high priest on one side, the king on the other. They were capitals on these pillars, and um, they encased metal bowls of oil, okay. So that uh, they, were, they were like beacons. They could be set on fire at night to light the temple court. They represented the light of Christ to the world. They were gi- like giant candlesticks. Okay? Wow, wow. So they could light the whole world with uh, the light of the gospel. So here's this pattern. Like those twin pillars of the temple that were actually giant candlesticks, The two prophets stand at the temple entrance to testify to the nations and to consume their opponents with fire from their mouths. Will the two prophets literally breathe fire? Well, no, of course not. The two prophets are symbolic. Okay. Okay. And so is the fire from their mouths. Um, The word of the Lord is, is the fire. It's constantly compared to fire. Jeremiah says, is not my word like a fire? And... Jeremiah 23 so when they preach when the witnesses preach their words enter the heart like fire remember when Jesus taught the two disciples at Emmaus they said did not our hearts burn within us okay, so that's, that's a great that's, scripture that's the the fire that comes from their mouths um, is not real it's not literal it's uh, symbolic but that's always the case with the witnesses of the Lord Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith they they breathed fire, okay, in the sense that they, um, they preached the gospel and the light of the gospel was the fire. But there's another reason, and this is kind of fun. There's another reason for the fire from their mouths. The two prophets, anciently, were associated with the constellation Gemini, uh, the twins, and they shine very high in the winter sky, so they're like uh, symbols of hope in winter. Each December funny thing happens we get a meteor shower from the direction of Gemini and all those have for millions of years this has happened it's called the uh, Geminid shower and um, it looks like blazing meteors falling from the mouths of the twins in the Mm. sky Mm. uh, and what we now call the Geminid shower if you stay up at night in the winter, in December, and it's a clear night, and look up—you'll see hundreds from the direction of Gemini. In ancient Babylonian mythology, they were considered these these uh, two these two twins in the sky were considered healers and helpers. The Greeks called them the Dioscuri, which literally means the two boys, and they were the chief supporters of the emperor as sons of of Jupiter, sons of Zeus, who was the thunder god. And one of the fun things in the New Testament is that Jesus named uh, his disciples, James and John, sons of thunder. They were yeah. like the Dioscuri. Yes, very um, cool. Possibly in reference to the Dioscuri. That's in the book of Mark, chapter 3. The Dioscuri were worshipped throughout the world that John lived in, the, the Mediterranean world. So. One scholar says the expectations that pagans had of the Dioscuri could be transferred to the two Jewish prophets. You see, Isaiah is the first one to talk about the two witnesses. Isaiah spoke of two witnesses as two sons of uh, of Israel who will call in Jerusalem at a time of crisis, and their message is, "Awake, put on thy strength, O Zion." Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And that's in Isaiah 51. So, let's sum up. The two witnesses are sons of God, priesthood holders commissioned to preach hope to the righteous and judgment to the unrighteous. And remember, there are always two witnesses during the 42 months of our lives. And they represent all the prophets of all time. Does that make sense to you? hmm Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: like the Dioscuri, they appear as saviors, especially in times of calamity. They also have the keys of the sealing power, so they can shut up the heavens and turn water to blood and, and call down plagues, all of which are traditional signs of God's displeasure. The hard heartedness of the rulers of nations. So, why did they preach for 42 months? Well, remember the symbolism of the number 42. Mm-hmm. What does it represent? A time of tribulation. Yeah. Tell me what you remember about it, please.
0: So, in Exodus, the children of Israel camped 42 times on their way to the promised land. That's the first thing, right? Um, the mortal ministry of Jesus lasted three and a half years or 42 months. right? The number 42 symbolizes our journey through mortality, sort of the time mm-hmm. of tribulation. We're here yeah. to be have yeah. tribulation,
1: right? So, so uh, after forty-two months of probation, the nations or the Gentiles have heard the message of the two prophets and they refuse it. So the Lord allows the two prophets to be martyred and to seal their testimony with their blood. Could you read chapters uh, chapter eleven, verses seven? through eight. Yeah. And when they shall have finished their
0: testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom
1: in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Okay. So the idea is that they will be martyred, right? This this drama actually plays out in the night sky. The Gemini twins, as you look up, as as the ancients looked up at them, it seemed as though they were falling backwards under the club of the constellation Orion. Everybody knows the constellation Orion. It's the one with the three stars in its belt and its mm-hmm. arm raised with a club.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, Orion attacks them from the east and they fall toward the mouth of the great dragon, who is the constellation Hydra, which is a beast from the bottomless pit, according to Revelation. Now, Orion is another type of Nimrod, who is the mighty hunter, the legendary tyrant of Babylon, who who is, quote, bound to the sky for his rebellion against Jehovah, according to uh, ancient Jewish commentators. So what's the point of that? Well, in every dispensation, Powerful forces attack the two witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. In the manner of despots from, from Nimrod down to King Herod, right? Who, mm-hmm. who, uh, who had um, several of the apostles murdered, uh, uh, particularly James, the apostle, was murdered by King Herod. Uh, think of the governor of Missouri, mm-hmm. who uh, tried to have Joseph and Hiram Smith um, executed. Or uh, the mob at Carthage, who, who succeeded in executing Joseph and Hiram Smith. Right. This is the beast from the bottomless pit attacking the two witnesses and they always do. Okay? They killed Isaiah, they killed uh, so many of the prophets throughout the of course Jesus Christ himself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was uh, a great witness and he was executed by order of uh, powerful forces represented by Orion the constellation in the sky. Now, the witnesses themselves, they lie unburied and dishonored in the street for three and a half days, it says, which is 42-something. Okay, According to scholars, this period of time is clearly based on the resurrection of Jesus. And the scholar who says that is um, Antoninus Sue, who is a famous uh, New Testament scholar. And um, he says this period of time is clearly based on the tradition of the resurrection of Jesus, which lay in the tomb for three and a half days. Darkness reigns. The powerful rejoice, as the the Jewish elite did when Pilate killed Jesus and when Herod murdered the apostle James. That's in Acts chapter twelve. Now, although the setting of this story is the great city Jerusalem, which is Uh, John identifies spiritually with Sodom and Egypt. It extends to the whole world. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. They were situated, think about Egypt also. They were situated in a well-watered valley, and they prospered on the principles of Cain and Nimrod, and they were oppressors enslaved people, they drove people, they plundered and pillaged, this is how they became prosperous. The strong taking advantage of the weak, the rich lording it over the poor, Uh, they were inhospitable. Uh, Ezekiel says the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were uh, inhospitable. They showed no mercy to those they controlled. Uh, So, the Lord gives the city 42 months of warning, right? You Mm -hmm. have 42 months. Of course, 42 months represent the days of mortal probation. The faithful leave town and go to the temple. But most people refuse the message and abuse the messengers, right? Like, like in Lehi's great and spacious building, that the city represents the pride of the world, whose inhabitants they mock and abuse the disciples. And, uh, but the fall of the, that building will be exceeding great. Now, please notice that the martyrdom of the Lord's messengers ends every dispensation. As backsliding disciples, as the members of the church themselves become apostate and they violently reject prophets and apostles, they end up killing the two witnesses, like Peter and James or or Joseph and Hiram Smith. This sad pattern gets repeated over and over. The wisdom of the world overcomes the saints. They abandon the covenant path they flock to the great and spacious building, and they mock the kingdom of God. And as first Nephi 11 says, behold, here's the house of Israel, gathered together to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this is the church itself Mm -hmm. becomes apostate. So what we see here is a perverted gathering of Israel. Okay, Um, Mm -hmm. Israel gathered against the Lord. Apostasy does damage to the church from the inside that persecution from the outside could never do. Right. Quote, the right. elders of the Jews at Jerusalem, unquote, they plotted to kill <laughs> Lehi, right, and other prophets. Centuries later, a similar group of plotters conspired to kill Jesus. The Sanhedrin stoned Stephen and bound Paul over to the Romans. Um, in other words, the high priests of the temple themselves, supposedly the representatives of God on the earth, they turned the temple into a great and spacious building, a house of merchandise to serve their greed. And then, the same way, likewise, um, disaffected church members incited the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram Smith, the two witnesses of our dispensation. Doctrine and Covenants says, of Joseph and Hiram, the testators are now dead, and their testament is in force. Their innocent blood, with the innocent blood of all the martyrs under the altar that John saw, there's your connection to Mm -hmm. Revelation, okay, will cry unto the Lord of hosts till he avenges that blood on the earth. So Joseph Smith tells us that these two witnesses will resurrect At the time of the restoration. Well, that's some time in this dispensation, Mm -hmm. okay? Interesting. The sun enters Gemini in May. So it's like the two witnesses are resurrected. It's the time of spring-like restoration of the gospel after the three and a half days of apostasy. As the spirit of life from God enters in, Israel rises again. Fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament, Hosea, prophet, says, come, let us return unto the Lord. After two days will he revive us, and in the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. So (laughs) there's that three and a half Mm days again. So in our time, in our age now, we have the restoration of the gospel and the true gathering of Israel.
0: In chapter 11, verse 13, after the witnesses are resurrected, there's a great earthquake and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain men of 7,000 and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God in heaven. What's that all about?
1: Well, an earthquake uh, here takes down 7,000 rebellious souls, right? Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, the same thing happened before in the time of Moses. There was a leader of the Jews named Korah. He mounted a rebellion against Moses. He and his rebels were swallowed up in an earthquake. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's like it's happening again. Mm-hmm. That's the that's what I'm trying to get at, is that this pattern of things Repeat. repeats. Yeah. But the pattern is, in, in a sense, symbolic. Mm-hmm. Everybody who rebels against Christ will end up in an earthquake, and they'll fall into a pit, okay? Meaning the pit of...
0: (laughs) Whether it's literally or metaphorically. (laughs)
1: Metaphorically, the bottomless pit, right? right? Right. Korah was a leader of the Sanhedrin, so he represents apostate Israel. Uh, In Numbers chapter 16, Korah argued with Moses because he wanted to be high priest instead of Aaron. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here he's like Satan wanting to be, or Lucifer wanting to be the one sent instead of Christ. Okay, Mm -hmm. he was rebelling. Interesting. And uh, so Korah argued with Moses because he wanted to be high priest. He wanted to be in charge. I'm in charge here. Okay, he says. (laughs) And Moses says, I think not. (laughs) And uh, like Satan, Korah was cast into the pit, right, with Mm -hmm. his thousands of followers. So this is a pattern Mm -hmm. that's going to happen to you if you decide that you're in charge. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: So the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. What
1: happens with them? Well, it doesn't last with them, right? Yes, they're they're surprised and frightened and think, "Oh, oh, you know, uh, God, please have mercy on us." But they're uh, so, so they're temporarily shocked. Okay, yeah, so of frightened.
0: like Laman and Lemuel when they see an angel, they're temporarily shocked, but then later. Yeah. When the angel's gone, they still want to kill Nephi. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're shocked and frightened momentarily by yeah. the earthquake. But miracles do not persuade people. They don't. The people still lack faith. Mm-hmm. And all the floods and fires and earthquakes of the six trumpet judgments we've already seen have little effect on them. They're rebels. One, one scholar says about them despite the terror of the devastating trumpet plagues humanity refuses to repent of their idolatry the exodus people meaning the saints however move the plot forward through their witness death and vindication so as this flood of judgments surges around them the covenant people plod on the covenant path we stay on it direct, simple, knowing that as the Lord led Israel through the Red Sea, he will lead us to the promised land. Um, And that's that's from the psalm the temple priests read on the sixth day, quote, The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. In our next episode, we're going to see what happens when the seventh trumpet announces the final judgment. I'm excited about that.